Well, now in that stillness, we listen for God's word as it comes to us from the prophet Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, beginning with the 7th verse. Listen for God's word for you. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, save, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I'm going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together, a great company, and they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it to the coastlands far away. Say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd a flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from, his, from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. And then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give them priests. I will give the priests their fill of fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my bounty, says the Lord. Will you join me in prayer? And so, gracious Lord, as we begin a new year, we come once again to hear your word. We ask that you would quiet within us any voice but your own that we might hear your word and be not hearers only, but doers as well. For we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I suspect more than a few of you, like me, have been out shopping since Christmas. This is, after all, the season for sales and exchanges and returns. It's big in the retail business, and if you're like me, you've had a hard time finding a parking place. The malls, the shopping centers are full. I've discovered sometimes unexpected things actually happen in life. Maybe this year, as we're returning those gifts that we didn't really care for, we might think about exchanging or returning some of our attitudes and our ideas that have worn out. Once a young man knocked on the door of a very expensive-looking home asking for any odd jobs that he might do around the place for a little income, and the owner suggested he paint the porch using the green paint that can be found in the garage. 
A few hours later, the young man came back. He was covered with green paint from head to toe. He returned to get his pay. And as he pocketed the money from the owner, he said, By the way, sir, that's not a Porsche, that's a Ferrari. Well, sometimes unexpected things happen. I know people who want to believe that if you just leave things alone, they'll stay as they are. They don't change. But the reality is life is always changing. And we live in this sort of dynamic universe of change. All you have to do is leave your yard alone for a few weeks and watch how it changes. Without the weekly attention and trimming and pruning, mowing, your yard will change. Scientists suggest that even right now we're traveling at about 600,000 miles per hour in space through the Milky Way, which they now believe is about 50% larger than they used to think. 600,000 miles per hour we're flying through space and I don't even feel like I'm moving. Life does not remain the same. Our text from Jeremiah this morning is about a different kind of exchange and return. To a people in exile long ago feeling hopeless about the future. This word comes from Jeremiah about restoration and hope that comes from the Lord. The deathly grip that they had experienced in life was about to be broken. The fear and the isolation that they had known was about to give way to joy and elation. And for those who live with a resignation, believing that no newness is really possible in life, they receive this word from the Lord that God is about to intervene and to liberate and to save. And not even the nations can stop God's resolve to return the creation and return human life to a kind of flourishing. We're invited, I think, by the prophet to exchange our hopelessness about the future for a faith in this Lord's ability to redeem our lives and our world. I recently received this story from one of our mission co-workers in the Middle East. It's about Syria, and it's about the way that our churches in the Middle East are combating the extremism that exists there. Elmari and I will never see the Aleppo that our Syrian friends grew up in, writes this mission co-worker. It was a beautiful city, Aleppo, Syria, with about four million people and lots of industry, but four years of war has taken its toll. People are still trying to live there, but the water infrastructure has been destroyed, and this makes daily life an even greater ordeal. 
But it's the Christian churches in Aleppo, the religious minority, that are addressing the water problems there. Churches have taken it upon themselves to drill wells on their property and then to make that water available to the entire community. Yusuf is the pastor of an Armenian church in Aleppo, and he tells that the water lines at his church begin around 4 in the morning, and they keep going on until after 10 at night every day. Last fall, while he was making his way to the pump one morning, Yosef was praying. He had no idea how he was going to run the pump that day. Everything in Aleppo now runs on generators, fueled generators, because the entire electrical grid of the city was destroyed in the fighting. But fuel, as you can imagine, is expensive if you can get it at all. Yusuf, in prayer, went over to check the generator and he discovered that the fuel tank was full. Now, one might think this was kind of a loaves and fishes miracle, but what actually happened is even better than that. It turns out there was this Muslim man who owns a fuel station right across the road from the church. And he was always somebody who kept his distance from the church, but Yusuf learned that it was this man who filled the tank. So later in the day, Yusuf found the station owner and thanked him and offered to pay him for the fuel. But the Muslim man refused. He said, no, I've been watching you. Every day you provide free water for anyone who needs it, whether they're Christian or Muslim, regardless of what political party they belong to. You have loved our community. This is my way of saying thank you. Unexpected things sometimes happen in life. In a world where religious, ethnic, racial, and national differences threaten to destroy life, perhaps on this day, as we approach Epiphany this week, we might discover that illuminating truth that has been the basis for so much mission work through the centuries, that God so loves the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the heart of our faith, and it's from the very beginning of the Gospel, and it's a recognition that this faith of ours is for all the world and for every nation. Now prophets in the Old Testament like Jeremiah came to be known as such because they had this ability to predict the future. And more often than not they were great pessimists about what was coming. When the rest of the world was optimistic, the prophets were uncovering a very shaky foundation upon which the national life rested. They pointed to the injustice and the exploitation that was at the heart of the national life. They called for a return to faithfulness. 
for redressing the wrongs that undermine the safety of an entire civilization and seeking to disabuse people of their false hopes in their wealth and in their military might, these prophets were best known for forecasting trouble. But today, we read a story in Jeremiah in which the prophet is the optimist. Precisely just when the entire world is slipping into pessimism about the future, Jeremiah takes action and speaks a word of hope. Twenty-six centuries ago, on the eve of the fall of Jerusalem, as the armies of Egypt and Judah and Babylon position for advantage and the country is being torn apart by war, Jeremiah decides to go out and make a real estate investment. It's not what people ordinarily do during a siege with armies camped all around. Some investment decisions either pay off big time or not at all. And Jeremiah's purchase was either incredibly stupid or he knew something that nobody else knew about the future. His was a long-term investment strategy. There's nothing in the situation itself to suggest that that would have been a prudent investment. What a contradiction. What a reversal. Circumstances would lead one to conclude that this would be an investment of sheer folly. But here's the point. Circumstances that we're in don't always point us in the direction of reality. The future belongs not to the temporary circumstances we're in. God is still at work and some unexpected things are going to happen. It's faith that claims the future belongs not to the forces of nature or to the economic uncertainty of the times or to the politics of nations or our military might. Necessary as those are and influential as they can be, they don't determine all things. Faith alone claims that in the final analysis the future belongs to to God. The story is not over. In spite of the breakdown of every earthly hope, yet there is hope in a future that belongs to God. And so Jeremiah infests in a future that he cannot be sure of. He cannot see. Believing that it will come to pass solely because God has promised it. Now shining through the darkness is this piercing ray of light, hope, based not upon our circumstances, but built upon the nature and the purposes of Almighty God and made known to us in Jesus Christ. This is a ray of light in the darkness. It is hope for our world. 
Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs was quoted recently in the Washington Post as saying, quote, Faith is like a flame. Properly tended, it gives light and warmth, but let loose, it can burn and destroy. We need in the 21st century a global Hanukkah, a festival of freedom for all the world's faiths. For though my faith is not yours and your faith is not mine, if we are free to light our own flame, together we can banish some of the darkness of the world. End quote. So maybe as this new year begins, we might exchange our hopelessness for a future, a future of faith in the Lord's ability to redeem our lives and our world. We can actually build a life on that kind of foundation. And that kind of faith will put us in life with a certain optimism about what yet can be accomplished in life. So we're invited to come to this table and to be nourished for that future as we make our journey towards a future that belongs to God we are invited and encouraged to come to this the Lord's table people will come from east and west and from north and south to sit at table in the kingdom of God they'll come from Syria and Kurdish areas from Palestinians and Israelis from India and Kenya They'll come from California and Mexico and from Taiwan and China and Korea and the Philippines, from every nation, to sit at table in the kingdom of God. So let us so come to this feast, this feast which Jesus Christ has prepared. Amen.